0: Hi there, I'm Jason Schulman, and this is New Books in Australian and New Zealand Studies. My guest today is Lee Straw. She's a senior lecturer in Aboriginal Studies and History at the University of Notre Dame. She's here to talk about her new book, After the War Returned Soldiers and the Mental and Physical Scars of World War I, published by UWA Publishing in August 2017. Lee, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Jason, nice to talk to you.
0: Well, it's great to have you on. So, Lee, I want to have to start with the story that you tell in the preface. Uh, that takes place in 1929 in Kali, a, a town south of Perth. Uh, what happened and, and how did you come upon it?
1: Yeah, it was quite a striking story. I, you know, sometimes we talk about going out to find stories and I really think this story found me. I was uh, in the State Archives here in Western Australia and I was going through crime stories um, for a different project entirely and suddenly this story came up about a murder in Collie in 1929. And I thought, that's kind of interesting because my husband's family are from there. And so I printed it off and brought it home. And as it happens, going through this story, suddenly realized that there was a a horrible incident that occurred in 1929 where a young um, widowed mother was shot dead by a a jealous guy in town who, who was her neighbor. He was married. He had young children. And he shot her fatally and then shot himself in the head and died two days later. And the real shocking part of the story was the fact that in the newspaper story, the image there was of the murderer and underneath it told us Andrew Straw. So suddenly we had a family story that we didn't know anything about in quite dramatic circumstances.
0: And so that was your husband's ancestor in some way.
1: Yeah, yeah, his great-great-uncle. So um, once we started talking to family, they – had known a little bit of his story and then he became this kind of Uncle Andy in the telling of this story. So for somebody we had no idea of beforehand, suddenly he was brought to life for us in in very dramatic circumstances.
0: So let's zoom out a bit. Um, Can you tell us, you know, for those who are unaware, who are the Anzacs and, and why do they hold such a large place in the Australian imagination?
1: Well, the Anzacs were were given that term for the the army corps uh, that the Australians and New Zealanders were a part of in the the First World War, and historians in Australia have called Gallipoli our real baptism of fire. This was the the moment when Australia really entered into I- into the war and really had its first major experience of war on such a mass scale. So the Anzacs were these, you know, young Australian men who were a volunteer, largely a volunteer force, who went off to fight in a war that was very far away from where we are, Um, very much a a war that was fought for the British Empire. So there was a lot of internal understanding of what that meant for us and our Australian identity. And at the end of the war, there was the creation of an, an Anzac legend. And basically, it was centered around the fact that these men were representing Australia and this was a part now of Australia's national story. So World War I is very close to um, our national story because it, it was seen as, as I say, our baptism of fire. Some have said it's the birth of the Australian nation. But in a, a sort of wider sense, it was really our entry into playing a much bigger part in international politics
0: but so there's been you know, many books about the Anzacs, there's lots of commemoration, but what aspect of the story did, did you feel was was missing that you wanted to contribute to?
1: In discovering Andrew's story, I really wanted to find, find out what had happened to him after he came back after the war. And in doing so, I was then drawing upon the many stories of other men who, whether it was similar stories or different stories about their mental and physical uh, treatment after the war when they got home. And I suddenly realized that, for a very long time, the telling of our World War I story in Australia, we focused a lot on the war itself and military strategy and the war stories coming out of it. And there's sort of this end point of the war ends in 1918 and you know, then we have entering into the 1920s and Great Depression and so on. And I sat and thought, well, we don't really know a lot about the men who came back and the real effects that the war had on their families. So it brought to life this real sense for me that, the war never ends. you know. There's an historian, Michael McKernan, who said um, virtually the same thing, that wars don't ever really end. And I think that's very, very true. And that was brought home for me in, in looking into this research.
0: So you live in Western Australia, more than 32,000 West Australian men fought in the war, uh, 16,000 came home injured. How did you kind of devise the, the research plan for the book?
1: It was really interesting because I had a sense of um, coming to the records, looking at records for mental hospitals, for soldier hospitals, tubercular um, facilities, uh, also looking into the physical treatment that was offered to men when they came back. So there's sort of this general entry into it. But then I found myself drawn to certain stories because they they were very human and they drew me in as an historian. But the the beauty of the research was that I had a lot of family members who came forward and said they had stories to tell, that there was their – father or a grandfather and they wanted their, wanted their story shared. So the book itself is partly the research that I did in the archives, the National Archives, the State Archives, the wonderful war records that we've we've managed to digitize. But the beauty as I say of it is the fam- the families that came forward with their stories to tell.
0: What kind of support networks did these returning soldiers have? And and looking back, you know, what what was sort of missing that we might think of, you know, a hundred years later?
1: I think there was some support that was offered to the returned soldiers in the form of, we had the returned servicemen league that was set up uh, during and after the war. There there was legacy that was set up for, for families of returned soldiers. And there were also a lot of volunteer organizations. So really ordinary people who got together to help out people in their communities, whether it was a returned soldier and his family, or whether it was the the wider extended family. There was a lot of local support for people in communities. But what was really lacking was a deep understanding of exactly what these men had gone through. So today, where we would talk about PTSD, for example, that wasn't talked about back then, because it wasn't understood in that same way. We were still trying to figure out really the mental impact of war uh, after the first world war and certainly the men who came back not a lot of them talked about their war experiences so in trying to reclaim their voices and experiences there's the repatriation archives that tell that story because these men kept it very quiet because of the trauma they'd gone through but then also not wanting to inflict that trauma on their family members and i think today while we've got a a bit of a way to go in our, our understanding of the mental and physical effects of, of warfare, I think we have come some way in really understanding the, the impact that this has on individuals and their families.
0: One of the most powerful chapters I, I thought was the chapter on suicide. Did, did you have any, I don't know, hesitation about writing uh, about that topic or was it something that you felt you know other people had, had neglected? How, how did you go about writing about such a sensitive topic?
1: It was a really hard chapter, really hard chapter to write because the the stories I was reading about the men, I was going through their repatriation files and um, the newspaper stories and listening to family talk about a a returned serviceman who'd taken his life. These were the hard-hitting stories because – this is the the harsh reality of of what happens after war for some men and women who who come back and um the way in which i dealt with it was to really just look at the very human aspect of the stories to bring out individual stories of what real people went through so getting an understanding of what suicide means um get an understanding of what it meant to the men and then also what it means to their families as well and the the thing that really stood out for me in talking to families in how they wanted their their loved ones remembered, is the sense of they they described it as bravery and the fact that they had shown great strength because a number of these men didn't take their lives right after they came back from the war. Sometimes it was you know a couple of years, five years, ten years down the track when they eventually took their lives. So they really did try to cope for a very long time, and mainly these men were trying to cope for their families. So there's a real sense of strength in the in the telling of these stories, and I think. If you really just humanize them and you you allow your readers to relate to these people as people and as very human people, then you get a real sense of what they went through and it, it means that you can deal with it in a very sensitive way.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, you know the Australian culture has made uh, progress in terms of destigmatization in, in that regard of, uh, since World War One?
1: I? I think the Vietnam War veterans did uh, a considerable amount in, in our, our country. Um, In terms of trying to raise awareness about destigmatizing suicide, also wider awareness of PTSD and the realities of war. So we're greatly indebted to our our Vietnam War vets for doing that. But I think still we are struggling with really understanding what it means because it's very difficult. if If you haven't ever been involved in war, you can't have that immediate understanding of what it's like. And if you have fought in a war, it's very hard to then convey that to people who haven't been off to war. So you've got this kind of divide between those who fought and those who haven't fought. And I think we're still trying to, to come to terms with that and find a middle ground in, where, in which we can really understand this.
0: You, you point out in the book that there are thousands of war memorials across Australia. Uh, how does the commemoration of World War One, which we're around the centenary of right now, change when we think about you know how the war didn't really end for a lot of those soldiers and, and the families they came home to?
1: Well, I think we've started to, in recent years, really look more closely at um, the men and women who take part in uh, the various marches to commemorate things like Anzac Day or to be a part of Remembrance Day, for example. I think we started to really think about those we've lost in wars and conflicts but we're also looking at those who've come back and really respecting and honouring them as well and in a wider sense really understanding that, that they have fought for their country and they've shown great bravery and strength and they still have to continue on with those memories of what they went through. I think we have a bit more of an understanding of that. So we, we commemorate the war dead but we also are really looking to respect those who are there at the war memorials participating in those remembrances.
0: You're also a Senior Lecturer in Aboriginal Studies. What do we know about uh, Aboriginal soldiers in World War I?
1: Well, we didn't know a lot for a very long time because we had our Aboriginal diggers went off to war and some of them didn't actually say that they were Aboriginal because of the difficulties of, of what they lived under at the time. Western Australia had a, a 1905 Aborigines Act, which basically meant that the the state government had control over all Aboriginal lives, and most certainly had control over Aboriginal lives of, of children aged 16 and under. So we lived a, at a time when Aboriginal people didn't have autonomy; they were not also recognised as uh, as citizens, and didn't have full civil rights until the 1960s. So. You have people going off to fight in a war who, for some, they're denying their identity. Um, and then for others, when they are saying that they're Aboriginal, they're actually being denied the opportunity to fight. Um, because of that 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 identity that's there, but in recent years there's been some wonderful uh, Indigenous researchers and family historians who've been piecing together the lives of the many hundreds of, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men who fought in uh, World War One and World War Two and certainly other conflicts. But trying to rewrite these men back into the history books is really important because if you imagine not being recognised as a citizen in your own country and yet. You're all fighting for that very country. That's a that's an amazing story.
0: Last question, Lee, before I let you go. And at the end of the book, you come back to Andrew Straw. How does the you know the silences in these stories impact, you know, families like your husbands, but also across Australia?
1: I, I think the silences um, are, are difficult to break down at times because there are some people who, who have a very particular vision of or telling of their family story. And we found that in the Straw family that there's one part of the family have a totally different version of what happened with Andrew Straw. Um, So their own trauma in that side of the family has kind of created that other story that's not entirely correct. Um, I think the silences in families, more and more through this research, I was finding that people were initially confronted by the silences that were there, particularly in relation to suicide. But once they realized that there was going to be greater awareness and respect for those stories. There was an opening up of of families wanting to tell more of their story. And I think that really shows us that we we have progressed in terms of how we tell war stories because we tell them not just in terms of fighting, we tell them in terms of the experiences after the war, and now we're telling the stories of what families went through. So I think that's a, a really important positive to come out of this
0: research that I certainly have found. Lee, I want to thank you for being on the show today. That's Lee Straw. Her new book is After the War, Returned Soldiers and the Mental and Physical Scars of World War One. It's published by UWA Publishing in August 2017. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.